from where are you from and what do they call you? Um, I'm from Napa County. Uh, they call me. What are you incarcerated for and how long is your sentence? Uh, I'm incarcerated for second degree murder. I pled guilty. Um, and I was given 33 years to life. Uh, due to Prop 57, they took off five years. And then uh, now, that put me at 28 years. But now, fucking, uh, because of the new law that passed, they doubled me up, gave me 15 to life. Because of my strike, doubled me to 30. So they can't do that no more because that's an enhancement. And I just got to file the paperwork to t take me back to court, and they're going to have to take the additional 15 off. Are you affiliated or used to be affiliated with any type of gangs, groups, or organizations? Yeah, I'm going to drop on the same. And so exactly what city did you actually really grow up in, man? Uh, Napa. So you grew up in Napa? Napa your whole I mean, I'm, I'm born and raised in Napa, but I've been locked up so much, I met people from everywhere, especially all through the Bay Area. So I've had stomping rounds in Vallejo. I've been in Frisco, uh, Modesto, Turlock. So I've, I've been a lot of places and stuff. What gravitated you into wanting to become towards a, a gang member? Did you have family influence? Did you have older brothers affiliated with this as well? Yeah, my older Kanan, uh Weddle was always in and out of YA in prison, and he was affiliated, and I looked up to him. That was my idol. At what age did you actually, you know, start? At what age were you official in the neighborhood? Uh, I was 11. 11 years old? Yeah. I started gangbanging at 11. What was the neighborhood called? I was from Riverside. But I, uh, additionally, Napa was very small back then. So they used to have only two Norteño uh, clicks right there, which is Barrio Noventa and BPN, and most of my family and friends were from BPN, so that's who I kicked it with until my neighborhood was established, which is a lot of my family members, dudes I grew up with, and that's in Riverside, Napa, Brown Street, and Laurel. In this area, is, is it a very active area? Like, you know, did you lose a lot of friends in this area, and are they actually Southerners in this area as well? Uh, yes, there's a lot of Southerners in Napa. Uh, Napa has a lot of uh, Hispanics, Mexicans, Paisas that come from Mexico. So they, and then especially because they have PDH and Vallejo, and they move from Vallejo to Fairfield, Fairfield to Napa. So it's not just Napa Southerners. It's pretty much Southerners from everywhere, Compton, from Los Angeles, from Bakersfield, there's some from St. Louis, Le Bispo. Uh But yeah, at one point in time, there was there was a lot of bloodshed. I mean, it's not an extremely violent place. It, violence does take place, but uh, I would say from 2003 to, I mean, uh, uh, 93 to about 2003, there was a lot of mur gang-related murders which was a trickling effect from 
the Southerners doing the drive-by killing my cousin. Oh, they actually they actually murdered your cousin? Yeah, they did a drive-by, and uh, one of the bullets hit him in the cheek, and it was a twenty-two, so it hit his bone in his cheekbone and ricocheted down his throat and tore his insides up, and he died on the spot. What happened after that? Uh, pretty much uh, because my cousin's older dad is NF from Vallejo, from BCF, Radio Central Vallejo. We had Norteños from Vallejo, from Fairfield, from uh, Vacaville, uh, Napa, Santa Rosa. It was pretty much... No. So it was pretty much uh, retaliation, you know? A lot, a lot of Southerners came up floating in the Napa River. There was a gang of drive-bys. Uh, there was a gang of Northerners that just walked up to a group of Southerners and shot every single one of them. And it's pretty much like that for a long time. Did you ever hit Youth Authority? Uh, yeah. I first hit CYA, uh, NRCC, when I was 18 years old in... It was 98, late 98 or early 99. It was beginning like January of 99 or the end December of 98 that I went to CYA. From NRCC, I went to Preston, and from Preston, I went to Ben Loman Fire Camp, which is in Preston, CYA. I went to Ben Loman Fire Camp in uh, Ben Loman is above in the hills of Santa Cruz. It's up in the mountains, and I got kicked out of there for gang-related violence. From there, I went back to NRCC, and I got shipped to Carl Holton in Stockton. Now, now, when you say you got kicked out for gang-related violence, what exactly do you mean by that? Uh, me and three other... Nortenos from other areas, uh, we got on two Sureños that showed up off the bus. Now, in, in these YAs, man, tell me, are you, are you guys, how strict are you guys already? Are you guys having to work out with each other? Do you guys, are, are you guys already clicking up with each other? Are you guys already segregated? You know, as a young, as a young Nortenos, man, tell me, how, how, how's it get down? Well, as far as like pressing, pressing, it was, it was just a, a war zone because it was gladiator school for everybody, Southerners, Blacks, Whites, Northerners, you know what I'm saying? So it's everybody trying to make a name for themselves or were just followers and basically, excuse my language, but this didn't give a f- more because it was peer pressure. But uh, there was a lot of individuals there doing time that were Nortenos that, just like me, had family members that were clicked up and actually showed up to that place with education. So it was very, it was very political. But uh, we ended up getting in a 60-man riot in Carl Holton uh, Mono Hall. From there, me and about 17 other Nortenos, we all got, uh, we all got extradited to, uh, I mean, uh, we all got trash back on the bus straight across to Chad, 
which was a very uh, was the most violent uh, CYA at that time. And uh, from there, in 2000, we were given, as far as when I say we, I mean Daniels, we got orders from individuals that were coming back from the pen that had status. We had orders to remove all bulldogs off the main line. And that's what we did. And we were already going to war with the Sureños due to the fact that they would not let us programming uh, THC, I mean, uh, and TS, and they always pretty much rush on Daniels and they get taken to the hole. So we pretty much did the same thing. We didn't allow them to program there. So not only were we going to war with the Sureños, we were given uh, direct orders to remove all blood, remove all bulldogs off the main line with weapon force, and that's what we did. You said that you were involved in in, in a sixty man riot. Yeah. Who was who was that with, and what was that over? Uh, it was with a bunch of other. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. We're doing time there, and it pretty much why was very violent, but a lot of violence and yeah, shit like riots, stabbings, slicings, it all took place over. Petty people feeling paid for someone looking at them the wrong way, bumping them, rubbing them the wrong way, saying something that came off as being smart, disrespectful. So that's pretty much how YA was. And so I got to Chad. Chad was more structured and even more violent because now you're politicking to the standard of the way the Nathaniel's in prison policy. You have 60 seconds remaining. You got orders to remove all bulldogs with weaponry. Now, why is it that Nathaniel's usually have to remove people with weapons? And who is conveying these messages to you guys while you guys are in youth authority? Well, it's usually individuals that catch cases while in the, in the youth authority. They, uh, they end up catching prison time, and that's when, when they're done with the prison term, they'll be sent back to CYA to finish out the remainder of their juvenile term. And usually, they're coming back. Uh, they're coming back with orders from individuals with wheelers that are uh, getting filtered throughout the bay, sent from the bay, all the way down the prison system. Now, I don't know if this is a rule or amongst you guys, but I heard that Norteño was basically when you guys do removals when you guys clean up your backyard or do your guys' pegadas or whatnot. You guys are, it's mandatory that you guys use a weapon. Is this true? Yes, that's absolutely. Uh, not only is it mandatory, but it is also mandatory that we'll be caught with that weapon as well. Okay, real quick, man. What is your perspective on that, man? No, you know, you're growing up 16, 17, 18, 19. You hit, you hit jail. You hit, you hit county. And you, you know, like you said, it's mandatory that you use a weapon. Pretty much, you're pretty much throwing your life away. You're gonna get caught with an attempt to murder or or a murder. You know. So, what's your perspective on that? Well, the sad thing is, is that a lot of us that are growing up that 
are really into the gangbangings, you know what I'm saying? We don't consider it throwing our lives away because we're so, we're so caught up in trying to make a name for ourselves or because we remind, we, you know, excuse my language, but we remind, believe that this is what's right, you know what I'm saying? So therefore, it's, it, it's a dog-eat-dog world. And we know by, by us following these guidelines that this is our life, so we consider it as an honor. And that's really, that's sick in the mind if you really stop to think about it, because that's basically putting that for our family, which is happening every day. There's extreme violence, but it's very rare because everybody functions under the guidelines of the MA, the NF, the AB. So there's always guidelines we have to abide by. It's not wild. We can't just act upon our own feelings because if we do in it, things to kick off a riot or something, and that wasn't sanctioned per our higher-ups, that pretty much our career is done. We're going to end up getting victimized ourselves. When was the first time you hit county jail, and what was it for? Uh, well, I was in juvenile hall uh, pending court, and I turned 18 in juvenile hall, so they they switched me, they they transferred me from county jail the day I turned 18 to, I mean, from Juna Hall to county jail the day I turned 18. And it was waiting to go to CYA for change of order and brandishing a firearm and assault with the weapon. How did you catch an assault with the weapon? Uh, so the brandishing a firearm is pulling the firearm within uh they call it a residential area, and the assault with uh, with a firearm is pistol whipping the individual that was involved with the case that I was in. What did you pistol whip this individual for? Uh, it was just a. It wasn't even, you know. To be honest with you, it wasn't even gang related. It was pretty much. Uh, a situation where somebody had sold some of my personal property and when they were confronted, tried to get crazy and it pretty much resulted in that right there. I had a pistol on me and instead of not thinking, I just pulled it out and started beating them with it. Now, did you catch any prison time for this? Uh, no, I, I was very 17 years old, 16 years old. So I was going through the uh, to the juvenile system, but when I turned 18, pending this case, uh, they switched me from juvenile court to adult court. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. But I still ended up going to CYA. This is my first term of going to CYA. I ended up getting six years, three months in YA, but in CYA, if you get six years, three months, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do that time. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot different than doing your time in prison because I caught my time, if I was to max out, it was to be until I was 21 years old, which that's what I ended up doing. I want to go ahead and discuss your charges, which you are currently incarcerated for. How are these okay. charges? How are these charges brought up upon you? And point blank, man, what happened, man? Uh, you know, 
most of my life I've been locked up and being raised to conduct myself and believe in, you know, no snitching is is tolerated and to always protect my family at all costs. Well, my aunt, who is now deceased, uh, her neighbor was telling on her basically and you know, that she's like a second mother to me. I just got out of prison from doing eight years. And one thing led to another, and I ended up killing her neighbor, which was murder, uh, murder with, the bu- I, uh, with the weapon, which is the butcher knife. Was this individual a gang member himself? Uh, no, I wasn't even gang-related. It was a matter of screwed up way of thinking that what was my morals and what wasn't my morals and to protect my family at all costs. You know, this individual was snitching on my aunt. My aunt's like my mom. It's like my second mother because it is my mom's twin sister. They're just not biological twins. So in my eyes, in my heart, I was protecting my family. How did you get caught? Uh, Sad thing to say is the person that I that I believed in my heart and my mind that I was protecting is the one who told on me. And, okay, now when you caught this case, was this the very first time that you were, that you actually hit an adult prison? No, absolutely not. Uh, when I caught this case, I already had done two terms in prison. Okay, let's go ahead and back things up, my man. I want to go ahead and know what you went to prison for for the very first time. Okay, the first, uh, my first term of going to prison was assault with a, uh, assault with a deadly weapon on a police officer or a firefighter, which is, uh, I got in a high-speed chase. I was in a stolen vehicle, and I got in a high-speed, high-speed chase with, uh, highway patrol, and I ended up getting in a head-on collision with this highway patrol, so, uh, Instead of getting assault, which the first, they were first trying to charge me with assault, uh, assault with a deadly weapon on a police officer, attempted murder because with the vehicle. But based on the the, the cop that was involved with this case, happened to be a, a juvenile hall uh, counselor at the time I was in juvenile hall. So he kept it real and he wasn't hurt, so he didn't press charges. So they dropped the charges from attempted murder on a police officer, uh, assault and battery on a police officer, to assault and battery on a police officer or a firefighter, which is almost as if catching the case by putting your hands on a, a peace officer in corrections or in juvenile hall or any type of uh, uh, police uh, police force that are basically just security guards, etc. So it was a lesser charge. Uh, and then Due to I had a, a prison, uh, a 16-month prison suspension, they pretty much just gave me six. Uh, in total, I ended up getting seven years, eight months with half. And that was the first time I came to prison, which was in 2000, end of 2002. Now, when you first got off the bus, I need to know, how was it like for you, a young Norteño, Arriving on the mainline, were you approached by people? Were, you know, what were some of the things that you were told? What were some of the rules? What was the whole get down 
for a young Norteño hitting the main line back in those days? Well, as sad as it is, when I stepped off the uh, when I stepped off the bus from being transferred, you had 60 seconds remaining. You know, I thought I was on top of the world because here I am getting off the bus, and my canal, my older brother Wero, and my primo uh, sticker. And a couple of other homies that I know from my area, they were all waiting for me, you know what I'm saying? So when I got off, they were at yard, they threw their hands up like, you know, I felt like I was home, you know? Now, what you just told me right now really kind of blew me away. You said that you felt ecstatic, you felt excited, you felt, you felt just at home arriving to prison. Yeah. How do you develop a mindset like that? Well, most of my young life, I was in and out of juvenile hall, uh, camps, group homes. Uh, then I went to CYA. I maxed out when I was 21 years old from Chad Denry and uh, California Youth Authority. And it was a day before my 21st birthday. Well, that being said, six months later, I ended up catching my prison term and... Uh, you know, my older brother, Wedo, this is my blood brother, you know, who's been in and out of the prison system. And he was there, my blood my blood cousin, uh, Sticker, rest in peace, he was there, you know, and a couple other older homies from my area. So it was like they already knew that I was on my way from county jail. So it was when I stepped off the bus, they're all screaming my name, you know what I'm saying? I didn't feel alone. I didn't feel nervous. You know, I felt like it was just basically, you know, sad as it is to say, I never walk in the park because, you know, I've been locked up most of my life. So, touching down right there, you know, instead of feeling nervous, you know, I felt like I was happy to see my brother and my cousin, you know? Now, after, after you know, you meet your people, you're, you get approached, you know, what did they tell you? What was the get down? Did they, did they, you know, what, what did they tell you? Well, uh, my brother, my prim, my brother and my primo were in North Block, which is the main line, and I was touching down in West Block Yard Side, which is uh, at the time was San Quentin Reception, and you know, when I got approached. You know, I didn't have to go through all the other shit that everybody did. I mean, I had to give up my paperwork. I had to do the 707, the 3D, you know, go through the process of being cleared. But I was cleared immediately because, you know, due to my primo and my, my brother, Weddle, you know what I mean, had already made sure that everything was going to go smoothly for me. Now... What do you mean? What do you mean by these background checks? Can you tell me a little more about these background checks? What exactly do they do? And what do you mean they check your paperwork? Yeah, I mean they check uh, pretty much anybody that's functioning under any type of prison politics. They check your paperwork to make sure you're not a child molester, a rapist, or you don't you didn't tell on none of your co-defendants. So it's pretty much to see if. Uh, your paperwork is still good, so that way, you know what I mean, because if it isn't good and if you told on somebody and it's right there on the black and white, you're, well, you're going to end up getting removed. You know what I'm saying? You can't function 
on a yard with any type of prison uh, segment that are functioning under the guidelines of the MANF, uh, the AB, you know, because snitching is, not in, it's snitching is not allowed. So they make sure your paperwork's all good and it checks out, you know what I'm saying? And as far as being uh, going through the background, the, me being an Othaniel, you know, we have a seven on seven, which is questions who, uh, who, what's your name, your CDC number, have you ever been locked up, have you ever been to prison, uh, you know, what... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Whatever the criteria of those seven on seven questions are, you are to, in order to be cleared or partially cleared, you got to go through this process and they're not just accepted, you know what I'm saying? Because unlike myself, not everybody's going to have family members that are there to speak up and, and vouch for you, you know what I mean? You know, as an up-and-coming Norteño, what are some of the things that you guys are taught? What are some of the things that you guys have schooled on? What are some of the things that you guys study? Well, as far as being a Norteño, you go through the process of mainline training, which is how to read a yard, uh, how to get the count of the next group segment that's on the yard with you. For example, when we hit the yard, you know, one thing they teach us as part of mainline training is when we hit that yard, we got to we gotta make sure we do a head count of every, whether it's black, southerners, uh, white, others, paisas, you know, besides all Northangles that are on the yard, we're going to know exactly how many people and, and how, many, how many individuals per each segment there is on that yard at the time, and that's at all times. Um, you know, we're taught weaponry, how to make weapons. We're taught, uh, you know, warfare training, which is how to, how to, uh, you know, conduct a plan of ops, meaning during the time of wartime and we're on a half 60 and we're going to kick off a riot, you know, we're taught how to set up the yard so that way when we, uh, when we attack, we got the better opportunity in the upper hand because we're trying to catch these individuals by surprise so we can be victorious towards anybody that we're going to war with, you know? I know you guys have a very, very strict program, you know, as as in, you know, as in the way you guys conduct yourselves, as in the way you guys have to, um, you know, have to participate in certain activities you know, such as workouts and whatnot. Can, can you can you um, can you go a little more in, in, into that uh, on the workouts you guys have to do? And uh, are you guys absolutely obligated to do these workouts, can, or can you just you know not do it and be cool? No, absolutely not. Uh, being on Othaniel, it is obligated that we do a workout uh five days a week which is mandatory one night one hour a week whether if it be burpees whether it be push-ups we're obligated to do uh at least uh i think it was let me let me just go off of what i went through you know what i mean i was on my first yard was solid dead yard and you know you were obligated to do your one hour machina whether like i said whether it be bars push-ups 
but when you hit that yard, you're obligated one hour exercise, and then every every per week you're obligated to run five miles around, you know, to get your wind up. So every day, five days a week, you can either walk a mile, or you could jog a mile. You know, you could run a mile, regardless of what. You got to give some type of, uh, you know, cardio exercise, and it's mandatory. So that way we're prepared. Now, I've actually seen one of these videos, you know, where you guys work out together. You guys almost do it like if you guys were in a, in a military camp. You'd be almost like you guys were the, the Marines or something, man. You guys all do... You guys all make the same exact movement at the same exact time. How do you guys do that? Well, it's all uh, surrounding awareness, and it's mandatory. You know what I'm saying? The whole point is that we are to conduct our uh, our workouts as a machina, you know, as one, as a machine, united. You know what I'm saying? The whole point is it's to show solidarity and dedication to one another. Now, is it true that when it's raining cats and dogs, pouring rain, even in the snow, every other car will be inside, but yet the northerners will still be out there, you know, continuing with the program as usual? That's absolutely true. You know, rain, snow, or shine, you know, it's mandatory that we go to yard. Every every yard movement is mandatory. It almost seems like, um, it almost seems like they're, uh, they're trying to make you guys into some type of super warrior, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it does make sense because... It all boils down to strengthening our, our strengthening our mindset to overcome and withstand whatever comes our way. You know, it's to be able to function in the worst conditions. Now, your first term, did you do your time peacefully there, or did what you call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded? Well, did you do your time peacefully? No, my first term, within the first six months I was on the yard in Soledad, I already had committed, uh, I already was involved and committed five different removals. Okay, can, can you at least give me two of them? Can you tell me the very first time someone asked you to do something and what was it for? And how did this person, how did this person ask you? Well, it's usually either done by my first time I was in one of the dorms right there on Solidate Yard, and I got a wheel off from a different block stating that someone needed to be removed. Therefore, you know, I had, I think it was 24 hours to get it done. And, you know, it's best way I could tell you, you know what I'm saying, without incriminating myself is, you know, it's a dog-eat-dog world. You know what I'm saying? This is something that I'm, in my mindset, I believe in, so therefore, without a dog, I'm going to get it done. 
why does that person have to get removed? Do, do you even know the reason why that person has to get removed, or you just follow orders without asking questions? You don't start learning the reason until you start climbing the ladder of, uh, meaning gaining status. But if you're just a regular northerner, because there's a difference between a Norteño and a northerner. A northerner was just any any individual that was from Northern California that functioned under the NF guidelines. Now, they are considered, northerners are considered uh, sympathizers of the cause. Northeños were believers in the cause, and canales were the cause. So it's like, one, you don't get to learn any of this until you start becoming a Norteño because now you're considered brothers to the canales. You're believers in their cause. But as far as just a regular northerner, they, on the streets, they're considered Norteños. But once they hit the pen, they were always considered as northerners. They weren't allowed to say they were Norteños. So it's like... Uh, you know, at that time, that's just the way it was. So you were basically taking orders. Unless you were somebody, then you kind of got some type of insight of what was being asked of you and why was it being asked of you. But as far as anything else, it's mandatory. You didn't you didn't get a chance to uh, tell them, no, I don't want to do this removal. Either you're going to do it or you're going to get blasted yourself. Has there ever been an instance where, where that actually has happened, where you've actually seen someone actually deny or not actually follow someone's direct orders, and that person ended up getting whacked? Absolutely. I've seen it a few times. Can you tell us of a, of a situation? Um, you have 60 seconds remaining. You know, one of the homies would have to get removed for... I think it was in violation of becoming uh of they were be starting to become a burden and uh a liability, so therefore they got a program failure and they were obligated to be removed. Well the individual that they asked had told them no. So therefore when they went to go remove this individual, they removed the individual that also denied the removal as well. <laughs> 